0: Love Talk Radio.
1: This is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWD Radio, and we are on live today. I'm so proud to be part of this uh, particular person. We I've known Wesen uh, for several years. Met him in Tuscan, which is a Tucson-based uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror convention and of course saw him again at Leprechaun or I believe it was CopperCon up in uh, Mesa and then uh, of course we had him as a guest for Leprechaun 38 this last April and uh, Weston, you know, I, I'm not even quite sure how many books he has total because he's, he's got several different publishers so with no further ado let's, I know they're sitting there waiting Hey Weston, how you doing?
0: I'm fine,
2: Patty. Can you hear me?
1: Yep, I can hear you. I introduced, uh, I let everybody know where we met. As uh, I'm not sure if you know, but I met you several years ago down in Tuscon.
2: Oh, dear Lord, and I thought you were going to talk about the bar.
1: <laughs> if it was a bar, I wouldn't have told, told anybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, I guess I see you blessing on the radio.
1: Oh, yeah? So, so we met down in in, in Tucson, and then I uh, saw you again at Copricon. And uh, you showed us your collection. We talked about your collection and the fact that you um, have uh, collector's boxes of your books.
2: Yeah, we were talking and about... The, the the first few books of mine that were uh, published by uh, a specialty press, um delirium books and also bloodletting books, which publish magnificent um uh and leather bound editions in print runs usually five hundred books or less, um, mainly for the collector market, although you well know, like fifty dollars a pop there are folks out there who can afford it too, but it's it's few and far between. Even said, it's amazing how those books sell out. Even before publication.
1: Yeah, and and that amazed me because I'd never heard anybody doing it that way. At the, you know, we talked about it, but uh, hadn't any, actually seen anybody do that. So uh, you were one of the first I've seen that that made that effort to, uh, you know, get into a big collector's edition like that. That's awesome, and it was beautiful. It really was a beautiful set.
2: They are beautiful. In fact, I'm glad I get my own author copies because. Some of the editions I couldn't afford to buy my own copies. It's so nice.
1: <laughs> I understand that feeling. <laughs> so te- go, let's go back a bit because you know you've been around for a little while, but not all that long. Uh, tell us how you got involved with writing, and or how long you've been writing, and when did you actually break out in a book?
2: Well, I started writing in uh, 1997, so it's not all that long ago. Um, I essentially. I turned 30 uh, a year or so before, and I I asked myself what it was that I had done in the past that I wanted to change, and what it is that that was going to go out in the future that I wanted to do. And I'd always wanted to write. I'd just never taken that step that everybody, you know, actually takes, which is to actually sit down and write. Um, And I forced myself to do it, and it took me a month to write my first story. And it was terrible. I still have it on my hard drive. No one's ever going (laughs) to see it hopefully, you know. Um, but, you know, now I'm at the point where I can write a short story today given, you know, uh, the right the right ideas. Um, I, kind of, I kind of worked in the short story market for the first two or three years because I realized right away that I just didn't have a grasp of what a story was. Uh, so, you know, I studied those people um, that I really, really enjoy reading, especially the classicists. Because I realized, although... You have me down as a horror author. I never knew I was writing horror until somebody told me I was writing horror. I I thought I was just writing and writing. Um, uh, In fact, I hadn't read any horror novels except for Stephen King and maybe a few others until I actually started writing horror novels. So I Mm -hmm. came to the genre with a very fresh um, feel to it. Um, So it was about two or three years before I even came close to uh, uh, publishing something other than short story. But it wasn't until 2005 that, I published, that my first novel was published by Delirium Books, and um, that one, I guess, uh, won the Bram Stoker that year as well.
1: Which, which is amazing, considering you know you're not you really haven't been in business that long, and to get the distinction so early. Did you think that was a fluke, or you know, uh, we? I mean, I, you must have been surprised.
2: Well, I was definitely surprised, but you know. Once a year, somebody out there wins that um uh, uh superior achievement first novel so um and I know some people especially like like danny and a ten colin um who write in, who write science fiction they they wrote the um um the unincorporated man and the sequel to that well, their first book was the first thing they ever wrote period and it won the Prometheus award so so you know there's there's a lot of folks out there i think who know how to write they know how how a story should be told they know how to um construct really uh, interesting characters but they're just they just haven't done it yet and it's just a matter of doing it to kind of you know get that muscle working
1: that's true but were you uh an avid reader before that oh yeah i'm an avid reader now i mean i wasn't an avid reader then my
2: mother was a uh high school news teacher my father um um taught college english uh so i I always had books in the house I always had learning in the house i was I was raised in an atmosphere of of, of you know this is what literature is mm-hmm.
1: well that's you know that's it does help to grow up uh, you know loving books uh in order to be a writer, obviously you had to read a lot <laughs> that's how you knew how to construct a story I did
2: and you know it's interesting i think I think I knew it by osmosis because while I was writing something, I knew that the way I was doing it was wrong. And, and, uh, the first couple of times I knew I was doing it wrong, but I just kept doing it. Then finally I just looked into my own inner self and, and wouldn't you know it, you know, I began writing stories that were publishable. In fact, you know, when I first started writing, I had my own metric of success. And that was, I wanted, I wanted to be published in a paying print magazine. You know, they used to have those back then. And, um, <laughs> And uh, I, I I had written so many stories, and I had a spreadsheet, and, and I was sending them to all the all the best magazines. And um, as it turned out, I had 42 rejections before I made my first sale. But then once I made my first sale, I had 18 acceptances in a row, all to pay print magazines. So, you know, it was just it was just a continual process of writing and revising and writing and revising and you know doing what an author really needs to do is, is look at his own craft and make sure that he's not staying in the same place but getting better and better.
1: That's true. That, that's definitely true, that you you need to learn from your mistakes. And uh, I often tell my author says, you need to learn something from your, your editing mistakes and, and, and you know grow as an author and get into something that you're not comfortable with after you've been writing for a while and try something new. So you write basically horror, but is there like so genres of a horror or is there something else yet you're on that you're also writing besides that?
2: You know, I would say I'm a dark fiction author, uh, because I write science fiction but it's dark. Um I write literary fiction. I write um, horror fiction. Um my first novel, which I thought was a horror novel, which won a horror award, I was told by a New York publisher, was actually Dark Fantasy. So uh, I guess there's a whole bunch of different genres out there, and the way people classify things. But the one consistent thing about the way that I write is I write dark.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's something you, you find that it that goes across all genres, then. I think can. so.
2: I mean, I mean, let's let's face it. Genres are nothing more than a, a publishing tool to decide who's going to work with us as an editor and who's going to publish us and where we're going to end up in a bookstore. At the end of the day, it's all writing.
1: That's true. I think Ray Bradbury has said the same thing. He said he's not really a science, wasn't really a science fiction writer. He was a writer of people. He wrote stories about people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's what a story is. It's he's a character driven.
2: I think so. I think the best stories are I, I, that's that's what I'm known for is my characters. Everybody else, I was. I was talks about them when we when get to a convention or a seminar or, or one-on-one. They always talk about these characters, especially how they seem to come alive in the stories of the novel.
1: Well, that's when it works, is when they come alive. You know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, and, and sometimes, as an author, you're thankful. I have a novella that, that I've already been paid for that's due at the end of the month and I'm really stuck on it. But earlier today, um, five of the six members of, of uh, this this military unit I'm writing about kind of turned to me and said, "I got it, I got it." And they took the reins and, and they made the other character do something that I hadn't planned on him doing. And suddenly, I knew exactly where the it was going. <laughs> I should finish it in two or three days. I know. Amazing. I'm like, Only, Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. I appreciate <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> Only a fiction author can say it that way. You know. I know, right? Uh, at one time, I I saw a um, a documentary thing about C- uh, Stephen King, and one of the questions they asked was, um, if you had to sit down to dinner with any of your characters, uh, who would you sit down to dinner with? Yeah, you know, and he said none of them. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I was I was thinking of my characters as well. You know, <laughs> actually, there's some there's some secondary characters like Billy Bones who was in uh, Scarecrow Guys. So I'd like to sit down with him. Because um he was a former rocket scientist for Raytheon who um basically became possessed and to confuse the voices in his head that kept telling him to do things he would speak only in palindrome, uh, palindrome um anagram and metaphor. That's it. He wouldn't talk you wouldn't have a normal conversation. But if you yeah. knew he was talking that way and you listened very closely, you could figure out who and what he was talking about. For instance, if I was to say um, evil's agent, right? Evil's agent is an anagram for evangelist. So, so there's a lot of different things that, that ah. in the way that he spoke. But it was very difficult. I think he's an interesting person. I'd like to sit down across from him. There's also another character in there who was a he was a doubting um, Roman Catholic monk who um, he wanted to believe, but he just couldn't bring himself to believe. And I, I kind of liked him because through him, I was able to philosophically discussed a lot of things that that, that I found interesting and he kinda of brought a new spin on things as I was writing it. So I definitely like to sit down and talk to him because I think he's smarter than I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get something from a character like that. Um one of the questions was somebody asked me to ask you was well I think you kind of answered that with the Dark Fantasy. Uh, what what genre would you that you haven't done yet, would you like to try?
2: Well I don't I don't think there is one. I mean I I really enjoy Dark Fantasy. I'm I'm a huge fan of Clyde Barker. I really love his, his epic Dark Fantasy, especially the great secret show, uh and the sequel to that as well. I, I love Cold Cold Heart Canyon. Uh, I I like, like I love everything he does. I also like Ch, Ch-, Ch-, Ch- Mieville, who although he's He's more of a fan a science fiction author. He's really a dark fantasy author. He just happens to do it on worlds that he invents, but at the heart, they're, they're dark fantasy. And I just love the way he's able to spin a phrase and just make it so beautiful. Um, so I would love to stay in the dark fantasy genre, and, and because that's that, that's the kind of thing that really is close to my heart. But uh, let's face it, a good story can take you many different places, and if I have if I have a great characters, mm-hmm. a good story.
1: I'm not going to pass that up. No, that's for sure. Um, Before I ask the question that just got asked of me, uh, I just want to let everybody know that the call-in number is 714-242-5145. I know there's a lot of guests listening in because I can see you there. Don't think that you're hiding. I can see you, so might as well call in if you can. 714-242-5145 question that was asked to me from somebody on Facebook was, what's the weirdest place that a character's ever spoken to you? Well, Were
2: well, you talking about where I'm at or, <laughs> or where the character's at?
1: Well, uh, what, do you think, what, the what do you think they mean? What they mean, they, what they're mean I know who, what they mean because they know the story that I told them about. Um, I had a character that came to, came alive and found out something about the character when I was uh, walking through Carlsbad Caverns. Here I was in the bowels of the earth and suddenly realized that one of my characters is having a relationship with another. So <laughs> so the question was, what's the weirdest place that a character's ever spoken to you in your head where you know, something has come to a realization?
2: Oh, okay. I get it. That's, that's actually pretty good. And as you were telling me yours, I was trying to think of mine. You know, it's probably been some pretty weird places. uh, But I know that in SEAL Team 666 that I was working on recently, um, while I was doing it, I I flew back and forth to Australia. um, um, And I remember (laughs) I was uh, actually in the the men's room. I guess not a men's room. It's a public room uh, inside the airplane. Um, And I was doing what I was doing. And I was trying to work out this plot thread that I had, and one of the characters basically explained to me how I could do it if I used this particular type of military device. So, I guess in the bathroom of an airplane, it's 38,000 feet. <laughs> is probably the weirdest place.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it happens everywhere then, doesn't it? <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> that was a great story. Um, somebody wanted to know, okay, if you have 42 rejections, uh, you said that you had a certain number of, of stories that came up that, that were being sold all in the same time. Did 18, you have Eighteen stories, yeah. I'm sorry, how many?
2: I, I had 18 consecutive sales um, right after that.
1: Now, in order to do that, did you have a store of different stories?
2: Yeah, I kept writing. I mean, you know, one of the biggest mistakes a writer can do, and, and I understand why they do it, because they feel very self-conscious because the whole the whole thing about writing a story and then sending it out for somebody else to critique or like or not, it's I mean, it's tough for a lot of people. Um but not for me. I I, I really have a um, uh, Kevlar ego here, so it, it doesn't bother me so much. So what I did is I wrote one story, sent it out. And while I was waiting on that one I wrote another story. And then I wrote another story. So so by the time I had that forty second rejection, I had twenty or so stories that I had written. Um, uh, just going back and forth, and 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 you know once I once I wrote a story and I felt it was it was good I would I would put it in the queue you know going from the best uh, market out there um, which you know at the time the great granddaddy of them all was Weird Tales um, everybody from um, Ray Bradbury to H P Lovecraft was a published in that um, and mm-hmm. all the way all the way down as as, as the magazine decreased in prestige and pay. And so I actually I actually had an Excel spreadsheet. That's how I learned how to do Excel. Was was writing that the track, you know my submissions where they went where they had gone, and it was based upon you know the prestige the payment how long it takes them to turn around a a rejection, you know these these things uh-huh. like that. So so that person should know that that I was writing the whole time. I was I was pumping out as many stories as I can because you know when you first start writing especially when you first feel it when you first realize that you can actually do this um it gives you so much energy so much power that you're able to put out quite a
1: bit that's awesome you have that many things going on um did you spend a certain amount of time editing or did you like write one and then edit or did you write them and then put them away for a little while and then and then come back and edit
2: Oh, I was impatient. I I wrote them and then I edited them and with my with my chintzy little editing skills, you know, I sent them out. I mean, a, a favorite story I tell is one of my you no, know, my first rejection was from Weird Tales. Um and I, I don't know if you're 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 familiar with them, but they've been in yeah. print, um, you know, for over sixty years, um, I think. And uh, they sent me an eight-page rejection. Um, seven of those pages was. Uh, was critiquing my grammar, Now realize, I'm a product of the, of the Tennessee education system. And since then, um, I have I have uh, uh, a bachelor's degree and a master of fine arts degree. But at the time I started writing, I didn't have anything but a high school diploma and a few college credits. Um, so as a product of the Tennessee education system, I already had like a few steps behind normal people. So uh, one of the things that, that the editor pointed out consistently, and this is from Daryl Schweitzer himself, was that... Um, i I continually um, failed to recognize uh, the proper placement of the antecedents to a pronoun. Now um, the problem is that I didn't know what an antecedent to a pronoun was, so I had to call my mother who I, as I mentioned earlier with a high school English teacher to tell me what an antecedent was, and since then, I swear to you i i I've been cognizant of mistakes using antecedents in I rarely make them because of the seven pages that were sent to me by a Weird Tales. Uh, so that's that's kind of indicative of probably how raw my stories were when I first started writing. Um, but then again, I, I had more desire than I had skill, so you know, that had to balance out somewhere.
1: So what you're saying is that is that you you started you went to college later in life then? Yeah, I did. Okay.
2: Okay. I, I mean I spent twenty years in the military. It's really hard for someone right. to, you know, sit down and, and, and get a college degree while you're in the service. I was able to, to do it by getting pieces here and pieces there so that um when I retired in two thousand four, um that same year I I, I I got my bachelor's
1: degree. So That's great. I mean that you know that's one great thing that came out of it. So that's good. Um I know that we're talking about military and uh, you were saying that you're going back to, uh, back into the military. You want to talk to us about that?
2: Well, you know, occasionally, occasionally they have me do do military things every now and then, uh, you know, most mostly against my will. I, I I'd rather just sit back and write full time, but you know, um, if they're actually going to pay me some money, um, then I might as well do it, especially since, you know, it's for a good cause. And, and you know the boys and girls out there, I, I'm definitely, definitely look, look forward to, to supporting them however I can. Um, right now, this November, I'm scheduled to deploy to Afghanistan. Um, uh, I should be there about six months.
1: Okay, sounds well. You know, that's just it. You're 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 giving where you can, and and I know how it is with with writing. Uh, you think that you're going to you know make a lot of a lot of money and millions, and that's not going to happen very often. Um, and if it does, it takes a long time to build that up.
2: <laughs> it does. I mean, I mean, just the amount of money that somebody receives for um, a novel contract in the '90s, as compared to here, is night and day. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot different. I mean, you have to have have a lot more things going on, which is why, well, it's not why. I mean, I I'm working on comic books. I'm working on screenplays. I do novels. I do short stories. I do essays. I do that because I love to do those. But but also, thankfully, it diversifies me, and it, you know, it, it it makes it so that I could possibly have have success in multiple different areas, not just one.
1: Well, you know, Ray Bradbury did the same thing. He wrote he a lot of different things. And, he so, did. And,
2: you know, Mister Bradbury is an idol of mine. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: <laughs> one of mine too. Uh, I fell in love with with his work in junior high, and uh, they caused me to write my first story in junior high. Was it, was, pick- it <laughs>
2: that, was it that excerpt from um, Dandelion Wine that you read in your in your literary reader? Was that was that the one that you read in the, No, U actually, I believe, was something else.
1: Believe it or not, it was uh, Martian Chronicles. Okay. Which is an us- unusual one to start with, but it is. yeah, but, <laughs> but it it resonated with me more about the science fiction. You say it was uh, more science fiction driven in that in that book than some of the others and uh so it it, it spurred me that was my first full length book that i actually read all the way through um because i would often try others and i just didn't like them or or you know i just didn't take the time to do it uh until junior high when i when, you know i they forced me to read it <laughs> it was an assignment <laughs> i mean i would read all the stuff that was assigned to me you know but um That's used to historical stuff, which is probably one reason why I like history. Um, But it was uh, that was the first diversion into genre writing and genre books. So I fell in love with Ray Bradbury right away. Then I wanted everything of his, you know. Um, And there's some things that 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 went over my head later when he was, uh, uh, you know, older and and wrote um, Halloween Tree. And you know some other stuff that is just like, oh, you know that's 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 really good writing, but it's not the same thing to me <laughs> so uh you know you but he's always been you know my favorite and i've I've seen him in person and have listened to his stories, and I pretty much took it to heart and uh believed the same way he did his philosophy became my philosophies. So uh, that's that's my story, a part of it.
2: You know, I like I like the way that that he does the building's Roman, the coming of age story, and how he um, has these characters. Whether it's Douglas Balding from Dandelion Wine, or it's or it's the kids from uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. You know, as they're going through their coming of age tale, they have this this youthful innocence that they maintain all the way through, and. And you know, from what I've heard, that's that Ray Bradbury. He always had that youthful innocence as well. So each of those characters, characters was really a part of himself. But my favorite part of his writing is that, is that youthful innocence. How he's able to keep it, sort of being a naivete. It's it's more of a it's more of a you know their 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 youthfulness and their inability to fold under the evil can in the end wind out even in the face of hopelessness. I just love that.
1: Yeah, that, that that's what we love about his stories. Again, the character driven, you know, he, he could, he could, you know, write about all the different places in, in the world and, and beyond. But really, it was always geared towards that, those, the characters. And usually the kids are the ones that he wrote about most. So, yeah, you're right. He has a youthful, youthful in, innocence about his writing, um, <laughs> you know,
2: I only I only met him I only met him one time, uh and um that was in Los Angeles when he got his star in the Walk of Fame. Um in fact I took my, my kids at the time to see it, they were in their young teens and they're like, Who the heck is this guy? you know. But <laughs> now they know but and they're and, and they're happy they went, but when they went they, they they didn't know. And strangely enough, when he got his star on the Walk of Fame, it wasn't very well attended. There's probably only twenty people there. But oh, wow. Also, there was um, um, Charlton Heston.
1: Oh wow! Uh, and uh, he he
2: was he was larger than life. And I remember when he was standing behind the microphone, he was talking about working on uh, his his Ray Bradbury films and and
1: mm-hmm. what he
2: thought about Ray Bradbury. This Bentley pulled up and like skidded to a stop behind us on the street. And this Hollywood socialite, I swear to God, got out. She's about 60, she had a martini glass in her hand, I swear to God, and uh, she had a meat coat and high heels, and she began stumbling across the asphalt, yelling, Charleston
0: Hester, Charleston Hester,
2: at the top of her lungs, and of course, everybody turned, and Ray Bradbury started laughing, and, but but Charleston Hester stared at her with all the power of Moses and the head of the NRA, and I swear to God, she came up short, she kind of looked around and, and like, suddenly realized where she was and what she was doing. She turned around and got back in the back seat of the Bentley, and they took off. It was just the funniest
0: thing.
1: <laughs> you think about these things happening, but they never happen. And so when they do, you're going, "Is it real?" <laughs> I swear to God, my kids,
2: my kids, even now, when when you know Charleston Hester movie comes on the screen, they point out and go, "Look, Dad, it's Charleston Hester. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you would think that anybody who loved Charlton Heston would actually get his name right. <laughs>
2: you, know? Uh, you know, she probably could have five drinks to go.
1: Yeah. It must have had a really heavy uh, accent.
2: Yeah, must have. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow, well, that's, uh, that's a funny story. That's great. Um, us see are characters. Uh, weirdest place. Let me see what anybody else says. I want to know a little more about your um Obviously, you're. When you were young, just what did you grow up wanting to be?
2: When I was young, wow. Um, you know, for a while I wanted to be a psychologist, um, and then and then I decided, well, that's way too much college. I don't want to have to do that. Um, <laughs> and then I and then I thought about being a teacher, and then it was, wow, that's way too much college. I don't want to do that. So. What I decided I wanted to do is I wanted to be some type of linguist. So one of the one of the all the colleges I went to um, at the time was one of the only colleges that um, uh, taught Chinese. Uh, This was back in 1983, so um, there weren't that many, especially east of Mississippi that taught Chinese, and uh, especially down south, mind you. So you know I I went there for a semester before um, the effects of uh, too many fraternity parties and too many dates uh, <laughs> affected my grade point
1: average to the point where I had to join the army. <laughs> when uh, when you were going to college, you you were you were already writing.
2: No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't writing. Oh, I mean,
1: okay.
2: I had I had written a couple short stories when I was like seven, eight, or nine. That were both um banned and pulled from the school newspaper um but but, but I hadn't written anything until i mean nineteen ninety seven so realizing in nineteen ninety seven I was thirty two years old
1: well, that brings upon of question is um, I've noticed lately, and then I've been mentioning this to people is the an because I got a lot of more a lot more people who are coming to me now who are in their you know thirties forties and fifties with their first books. Why do you think that our generation waited so long?
0: <laughs> to get
1: well, I, started? I,
2: well I, I, first of all, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that I could write, you know. I thought it was going to be a huge, just involved process. It was going to, you know, have pulleys and clockwork and all this other stuff. But really all it meant was me getting my butt into my seat and start working. Um, secondly... You know, a lot of people don't have a lot of things to say. I mean, they they might not have stories until later on in life. Um, Christopher Paolini, I don't know how the hell a 16-year-old kid writes a book like that um, when he doesn't, he hasn't had any life experience. I mean, by the time I, I, I began writing, I had been to 50 countries. Um, I spoke two languages other than English. Um, and, and I had been places. I had done things, you know. Um, right, right. So, so I, I had stories I could tell. I had I had places I had been. When I was 16, I couldn't I couldn't tell a story. I was too busy trying to hook up with, with you know, with the girl to my left or girl to my right. You know, I, I was too busy trying to have a good time. I I didn't have the chops for for, for storytelling. And even if I had wanted to, you know, what am I going to write? Am I going to write about about being a kid in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee? Well, I, maybe I could, but. I, I just didn't have the skill.
1: That was probably one reason why he he wrote a fantasy, because you know he didn't really have to write about uh, the world as we know it here. He's not But he still,
2: but he still wrote built. character. Inter, he still wrote character interactions that were fairly adult, um, which 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 told me either he had a significant amount of helper, and or he's he's just very. In. He's intelligent enough to be able to recognize how how adults are able to work with each other to get what they what they want and to um, bargain with each other. Something that helped took me 20 years to figure out. It wasn't until my 30s, right. my second marriage, that you know that I figured out. Oh, you mean you can negotiate with somebody, you can bargain with somebody, you can <laughs> you can you can be nice and have things nice happen to you. Wow, isn't that nice?
1: Well, I know that his family. Uh, was very much influenced with him and I, be, I believe his family did help him a, a lot as far as getting edited and, and learning more from his from his story and they went with him everywhere because, you know, he was a self-published author. Right. So, they went, they they got it done, you know, they paid for the books, they, they took them everywhere and so they helped him make it happen. You know, if, if you hard. know, yeah, so, I bleed enough in his book to to do that, and of course, when he made enough sales, somebody actually noticed. <laughs> so you know that that's a success story. You know, waiting to happen it's,
2: It is. It is. You know, more more yeah. power to him. I just I just use his, his, him as an example of of me being the kid that, that I was at that age. I could I couldn't even have, have come close to the success that, that he's had. So you know, good on him. I needed a whole life to get to the point where I could write something.
1: Well, you know, Ray Bradbury was said, you know, that you you took just enough time <laughs> because he often said that you know he lets things ferment in his head for years or decades before it comes out on paper. You know, his uh, uh, an idea or something that he saw, something that he heard, well, something uh, the the book, something wicked this way comes. Came from experiences that he had as a young boy, at a carnival. Yeah. It took that long to ferment, to for him to make it horrific enough, and you know to make it the story it is. So it makes sure you know that that Christopher is probably going to be really awesome when he actually, you know, gets older and actually uh, gets some experience behind him. I hope that we don't see him drop off into oblivion.
2: Yeah, yeah, me neither. I mean, you know, the world needs good authors. I, I, I totally believe that that there can never be too many of us.
1: Yeah, that's what people tell me. <laughs> I said, you know, I say, hey, why, do, what am I doing? Why do I keep keep going with this? Why do I keep going with this? I keep helping authors. What, what, what am I doing? And they're saying, well, so should I go and start, you know, counting beans? At least I get paid for it. And and they said, yes, but there's too many bean counters. Yeah, you know, Todd says there's too many bean counters. We we want more people who you know who can help people, and and want, want more authors. I said okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you guys say so, you know sometimes I, you never know. It gets hard out there. It's, do you you notice that in 1997, uh, it's it's a little bit different uh, climate than it is here, uh, that it is now in writing. Do you notice that there's a lot more. Uh, competition out there for you and for other authors that have been around for a little while.
2: Um, my competition, I think, is different in that when you first start out, um, um, for for most people, it's the case. When you first start out, you know you're publishing in 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 magazines and in, the, in the smaller presses and things like that. But the more successful you get, um, the bigger the publishers become. And the bigger the publisher, the smaller the pool of writers they have. Now, now this has pretty much always been the case, whether it's um, St. Martin's or or Tor or uh, Pocket or if you go overseas and talk about Orbit or Golans or or uh, Abaddon mm-hmm. Books, you know, they have much fewer authors that they count on than than the smaller presses. And and right now, I'm spending a lot of my time, you know, working working for them. Um... And it is it is harder to continue to work for them because you have to demonstrate, you know, sales out in the hundreds but sales in the tens of thousands uh, so that, you know, they're willing to put their trust in you again. Um, I was really, really psyched when uh, SEAL Team 666 um, was able to be published by St. Martin's Press. Um, uh, but I'll tell you what, this, they're only going to work with me in the future if this does really well. And luckily, I think just the title alone has a built-in market, because I think people are going to buy it just because they see SEAL Team 666, and they say, hey, that's cool. But in the end, no matter how cool the title is and no matter how cool the blurbs are by um, Kevin J. Anderson and Peter Straub and all the rest of the guys who blurbed it, it, it inside the writing has to be top notch, and you have to like it or else you're not going to come back to, to a Weston Outpost book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have uh, basically one try with with any of the big publishers.
2: Yes, you know. In fact, it's a, it's a continuation of one try, one try, one try, and you have to get it right every time. And I'm cognizant of that, and and I work hard, um, um, and, and not only the writing of these novels, but in, you know, in the in the in the promotion.
1: So, do you think you have better luck with the smaller publishers?
2: Well, I think it's it's a bigger pool. I mean. It just happened to be that my first couple of novels um, were published uh, by uh, a specialty press. Um, one of the things, or a couple of the things that made me think that that was a good idea was, A, beautiful product, absolutely beautiful product. Um, B, I was being published alongside people like F. Paul Will Sigmund and, and other greats of the genre. And then, three, I was getting paid as much for these specialty press books as um is a mass-market paperback. So, um, plus, I, I maintain my, my rights from mass-market paperbacks to all these <laughs> specialty books because they're published in limited edition. So, so to me, it was a win-win situation. And, you know, somehow, some way, the first one won an international award. and The second, I had a collection of short stories that was nominated for the Pushcart Prize. So, um, you know, things worked out very well because I think the right people... Um, and the right sort of editors and the right sort of readers were were reading my works in in this limited edition format. To the point now, to where when I have a book that has fifty thousand copies, um, not only do I have those fans coming back to to read what I'm writing, but I have a, a host of new fans as well.
1: So tell us about uh, Blood Ocean because I know that one is one of your recent ones.
2: Blood Ocean, boy, I've been I've been wanting to write. Blood Ocean is kind of a, a shared world for Abaddon books. They, have, they had this idea back when they first started as an uh, imprint for Rebellion Entertainment, the guys who owned Warhammer in 2000 AD those and those things.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: Abaddon belongs, to, belongs to, them, to them. And they had this idea when they first started out that they would have um, a group of books that had at its core um, the idea that a plague, a pandemic, destroyed the world. And there was an O-negative uh, pandemic, which means the only people with O-negative blood survived, um, uh, which really throws everybody back, you know, about a thousand years, because because now it's cowboys and Indians, and everybody fighting against each other. Um, I, I really wanted to, to do that, and I pitched them right away, because I was on the list of people that they had asked in the beginning to pitch them. And they didn't take my first pitch, because it was very similar to some of the books that they are I had already bought. No you know what? My pitch was very similar to the first two books that came out. So, you know, a couple of years passed, and, and uh, I happened to meet the editor at a, a Book Expo of America convention in Los Angeles. Um, and um, he said, he said, You know, have you ever thought about writing a zombie novel? I said, No, I haven't. <laughs> he said, pi- pi- Pitch me one. And um, if, it, if it's good enough, we'll talk about publishing it. And I did. I pitched him a zombie novel. This turned out to be Empire of Salt. Um, which is set in the salt and sea, uh, and he loved the idea. And it was published. It sold out in like six months, uh, worldwide. It was it was a great success. So, so while I was in Brighton at a world horror convention, Brighton, England, um, I I spoke with him and kind of gave him a soft kiss. And he said, "You know, it sounds pretty good. Put something on a paper and uh, send it to me." And I did, and um, he accepted it. And it was a lot of fun for me because you know, Blood Ocean. It's science fiction only in that it happens in the future, but it's really not science fiction. You know, it's, 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 it's yeah. a dystopic novel. Uh, it's, I call it Mad Max on the water because it's essentially <laughs> a lot of violence as people try and survive. Um, there is some science on there because, you know, the, the whole idea of this plague and, and possible cures revolve around science, but it's, it's that kind of fairy dust, bright object science where, you know, you make sure that people don't look at it too
1: closely. I, I like the idea of your of your uh, blood ocean story. And like I said, I was I was. I you know you. I got your book for review, and here I was trying to get somebody to review it because I, I know I wanted to read it, but I I am behind on reviewing. So <laughs> people send me books and they put their inscri- inscription on it, and so then I have to f- force read them. Did, um, a, did
2: you get a book from my publisher or, or yeah? Or well, did yeah, yeah. I give you one? Okay, well that's, yeah. that's good. They sent you
1: one. Yeah. Because uh, again, since uh, connotation is definitely up your alley and and definitely in your backyard, uh, mm-hmm. we we should you, we've got one coming in for you, and I I'm going to do a follow up um, on it and give you my give my opinion as well.
2: Oh, that's good. Well, you know, if uh, you're reading it, you're probably recognizing it's a pretty violent book. In fact, it's the most violent book I've ever written. In you know,
1: that's that's what I was wondering.
2: Well, <laughs> it's it more violent than than my zombie novel. You know, talking to people about it, when you think about it, if the world has ended and people have broken off into tribes and are trying to survive by any means necessary, it's going to be a pretty violent future for us, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's not going to be very nice, at least in the short term, until we're able to build back up our, um, you know, political constructs for good or bad and, and those things that kind of keep people from doing harm to each other, you know. Um but as as you know in that book, none of these things are around. It's just it's just people aboard their ships in this last together city uh trying to survive together. Mm-hmm. And um it's it's violent, definitely. Most violent thing I've ever written. You know, I, I don't know if I'll write another thing that violent, but I think the story called for it in in that um the circumstances are so dire that um mm-hmm. the, you know there is no take backs and there is no, well, I'll let you go, you know.
1: No, that's for sure. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's survival not survival kind of culture. culture. Yeah, it, it becomes survival to fit us.
2: It does, and it's kind of funny because I and and I let me just jump into a Josh Whedon here. Um, we saw Yvonne and I, my wife, we saw Aliens Four. Yeah, yeah, Aliens Four the other night on TV, and I didn't know that Josh had done the screenplay for that, and um, and then and then of course the 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 pirate raider ship comes in comes up um with 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 all the pirates on it that for the ship um and I'm like, wait that's firefly and <laughs> and i could I could absolutely tell that that, that was his idea for firefly because the same same type of ship same type of crew just you know he 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 later had different actors, but the deal was is that those people on that ship for his alien script. They didn't. They didn't take no prisoners. They shot and killed everybody that moved. They were bad. They were violent. They were terrible people. But then you put them on. But then you put them on primetime television, and uh, you put them on Firefly, and suddenly they're, you know, a lot nicer folks. You <laughs> they 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 might be willing to let somebody go. So it's interesting that you know. Well, well, while, while he was writing for for Ridley Scott, he did one thing. But while he, while he writes for himself, he did another using the know. exact using the exact same model
1: <laughs> and that is funny how that that works out but yeah it does it does depend on what you're writing for have you considered uh, you did say you're writing screenplays right
2: yeah i'd um i've written several screenplays um i've i've won an international screenplay award a a film festival award with uh, one of my screenplays um i had a uh, a uh, short story of mine that was turned into a screenplay that um made it to primary shooting uh for an, for an independent movie before, you know, independent films do it they, they do a lot of the times and they fold. Um I've I had a uh I had a screenplay make it all the way to the uh, uh Hallowed Halls of Amon Raw Entertainment owned by Wesley Snipes before I really screwed that one up and, and uh made it so that he didn't want to look at it anymore and uh, so you know, I've had I've had successes and I've had failures, but I, I really enjoy uh the screenplay as as its own separate art form. Um I took masters classes in screenwriting from from my from my masters of fine arts degree and I was I think I learned some things that I never would have learned otherwise. In fact I put together a um um a writing seminar called uh the Guerrilla Fiction Writing Seminar. Um <laughs> That I read for a couple of years, and and you know it's quite expensive. It's like 100 bucks for seven weeks, um, but now it's I think it's on Amazon for like 9.99. But the the, the core of that is taking um, screenwriting techniques to inform your fictional writing techniques. Understanding how archetypes work and act, uh, understanding how how uh, acts work and how how through lines work and all these different things. And you know it, it was it was designed to like breathe new life into someone's fiction, and and I I use that myself. I I use screenwriting techniques to write my own fiction because um uh I believe that you know whether it's Joseph Campbell or George Lucas, um there are ways that we expect the story to unfold, and and the better that story unfolds, the more we like the story, even <laughs> if the story isn't isn't maybe as good as it could be, even though it might lack something because there's something in our makeup that has an expectation of different things. I mean, movies like Lady in the Water were great movies right up until the third act, because there was no third act. You know, recently, Liam, Liam Neeson's The Grey it was a great movie right up until the third act, but there was no third act. And we, we mm-hmm. leave those movies dissatisfied because uh, we know that there's something missing. You know, there's, there's that ending, and there's, and there's also no Daniel Maltz. Um, so what I bring to my fiction to the screenwriting is is to make sure that those things happen and to make sure that there's a you know that action after the ending after the climax so that you can spend a few minutes with your characters at the very end you know and kind of breathe with them and find out um, exactly what's going on I mean I just read a classic Thomas Thomas Tryon uh, Harvest Home I had never read that before it was published in 1973 Mm -hmm. and it, it was it was written like a three-act play, and it had big humor at the very end. It was it was a perfectly written thing, as though Tom knew how to write a screenplay or at least knew that that was the way the story had to be formed so that so that you know, our our minds could really, really get it.
1: I'm looking through your website to um, get caught up with all your different, different stories. And, uh, you yeah, know, kind of funny because you're talking about how, uh, you know, Blood or, or Ocean was the most violent story you told, yet some of the covers that you have here look look a lot more gory than than that cover. They, right? they do. They do. <laughs> I they mean, mean almost scary, do. man, you know. Yeah. It's uh Yeah, I mean Nancy Ghost just uh freaks me out, man.
2: <laughs> the cover the cover of Nancy Ghost. The
1: cover, yeah, that, that freaks
2: well, me you know, out Nancy Ghost is a is a novella about about a uh, young gay man who's picked up in West Hollywood by some mixed martial artists, um, who take him back home to um use him as um as a training dummy.
1: That's just weird. And,
2: and is and <laughs> as violent as that is, it's not as violent as Blood Ocean because a, a lot of the a lot of the action takes place um uh and Nancy goes, Well the action that takes place isn't well an action. It's it's more it's more conversation and you know coming to terms with one's own self
1: but, So Wow.
2: Yeah, I guess you can't get the book by its cover, right?
1: Yeah. That just freaky. <laughs> and you got the golden thread. Which looks more like a zombie's book than uh than some of your others.
2: You know the artist, the artist for the Golden Thread and Recalled Life is Vincent Locke, uh, and he was um, one of the artists for Sandman, the the, the comic book, <laughs> the one that Neil, Neil Gaiman made famous. I wonder, it's
1: psychro, uh, cryptozoology?
2: Yeah, cryptozoology. It, it's a study of things that aren't supposed to exist, like the chupacabra, or oh uh, yeah yeah, or. Yeah. Uh, Nessie or 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 Bigfoot—it's an actual field of study, and they actually have uh, degrees in them. That.
1: Yeah, that's what uh, uh, my my son gets into that. He loves that stuff. He's eighteen. He he gets into horror, and I told him he could he could read your book, um, even though it's very violent. I think he's um, I, I think he can handle it. <laughs> okay. I'll finish reading it then. I'll decide. But you yeah, know, he's, he's, well, he's, he's and shaking and
2: twisting and and blood coming out of his nose. It's probably not the right book for
1: him. <laughs> well, he does get into um, the games and things like that. So gaming, so yeah, I think he probably can handle it. I'll decide that later. But you know, he's gonna uh-huh. he's gonna grab it, you know, and read it anyway, you know. Um, he just gets into. He really loves the uh, the, the horror books and horror stories. So that's uh, okay. Now, Velvet Dogma, you say it's cyberpunk. It is. And the uh, organs issue, that reminds me of some of the movies that are out right now.
2: Well, I, in, my, in my defense, I wrote this in uh, 2005 or 2006, um, and <laughs> it was orphaned twice. Um, when, when a novel gets orphaned, it means it was accepted by a publisher, Um and then it kind of sat there for a while, and then nothing happens to it. Um, in this case, it was, it was accepted by by one editor, and that editor moved. And when mm-hmm. when, when, the, when the new editor-in-chief, at least for mass market publishers, came in, um, they they decided they didn't want any of that previous editor's accepted work, so they kind of gave it back to me. So that was about a year and a half. And then I I submitted it to another publisher, and they they loved it too, and they wanted to buy it, but the same thing happened. It got orphaned for two years. So
0: oh, so,
2: you know, for uh three and a half years that book was just sitting on people's desks, accepted but doing nothing. And so after that I waited about two years and then um uh, Crossroads Press um is is my e book publisher. But not mine, I mean they're they're an e book publisher. And um we talked about it and decided, you know, let me let me try this and see what happens. Let me let me try and take an original novel that hasn't been printed in print before and print it um as an ebook and let's see what happens. And you know what? It's doing awesome. i have made I've made I mean if if money is a metric, I've made more money from this than I would have had I had I signed either of those book deals. Uh and it's 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 gonna be read by lots and lots of people. So I'm you know I'm I'm very thrilled. And you know it has it has mostly good reviews. Um
0: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. you know I think there's like Two threes and all the rest of them are all all fives or ten or whatever the thing is. Um, right,
0: at least,
2: at, least, at least on Amazon, <laughs> but um, you know, I I grew up on, on 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 cyberpunk. I loved it. I you know Neil Stevenson and William Gibson are, are you know two of my my great literary icons. I loved them both to death. And to you know to be able to write in that in that genre was just so much fun.
1: I love the cover. It's very, uh It's action oriented, and yet it's just, it just—it makes you want to open up and read it based on just the fact that okay, this is weird, you know.
2: Well, the cover's an interesting story. Um, uh, I—it was because that was going to be my my first original e novel, and so far my only original e novel. Um, I decided that I wanted to try my hand at doing the cover. So I read I read up on you know what it takes to do a good ebook cover and all this stuff like this. You know I, I used to work in psychological operations and I used to work with the leaflets and things like this. So I know how to construct things and, and how to do things. I'm just not a very good artist. So um, I went out and I actually talked with uh, uh, Matt Holtz, uh, is an author who has, a, who has a great book cover, and I asked him you know where the art came. He told me it came from an artist named Daniel Tunstall. Uh, Who's over in England, and um, I, I connected with her, and I, I actually paid her money for that art. I bought that piece of art, and then I constructed the cover around it. Because let's face it, um, it's really hard to get a really good cover and really good art. And if and if you gotta pay a, pay a few bucks to get more people looking at your book, I think it's it's, sure. it's well worth it. So so I paid for that and I, and I constructed it. And you know that book cover won an award from. Um, uh, I, have, I can actually look it up and tell you, but it's like ebook cover designer or something like this. Anyway, it won an award, and it, it won the award from the same person that I was actually using to guide my, you know, guide myself, and you know, the use of negative space, the, the the use of action, the simple text, the ability to use, the ability to have a, a picture that can be read as a thumbnail, um, equally as a, as it is a large, exactly a large size, you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And you're right, that image is so perfect, and I was so happy to get it because without Daniel's uh, piece of art um, and, and Colette Vantora, who was the uh, actual model for that, without those two working together, I wouldn't have had a great book cover at all. I mean, it just would just have been something just like anybody else's, but but everybody comments on the book covers.
1: It's, it's def- definitely unique. It's definitely unique. And they, you know, it, it just. Uh, and again, this action-oriented, which is which is what people are looking for right now, you got a, a person who's you know, it, it's it's coming apart like that. It just it just really plays into your storyline on this.
2: It does. It absolutely does. I mean, you know, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh no, are you kidding me?" That's exactly what I have to have.
1: <laughs> yeah, was, you found you found love with that one piece, huh? I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, i got to have this piece. And, and then, of course, you build, a, build it around there. That's uh, that's how it works. You fall in love with something and it's like, okay, I've got to have that for the cover. And,
2: adds, and, and since then, you know, I've, I've done two other covers. I did Blaze of Glory, which is a um, a reprint of a another limited edition book. Um, um, and I also did one for Yvonne, which was Dead Times. And, and both those pieces of art I got from Danielle because she just touched it. Just a a brilliant artist, and she has such a different um, uh, way of looking at things. So that you know, she takes something, she films it, and then she works it, and you don't know if it's drawn, if it's photographed, whatever. It's just beautiful.
1: She got uh, another freaky one on here. I love talking about covers, by the way. It's just just, just a pick and I always have to tell people, you really got to have. Uh, a good cover, an effective cover, otherwise, you know, you're lost. Doesn't matter if you're in print or ebook. It's first thing, and first thing people see, and sometimes the last thing they say of yours if you don't do it right.
2: That's true,
1: absolutely. Got one on here, uh, uh, Empire of Salt. Now that's a, you, that's your zombie story, and uh, mm-hmm. definitely, says you guys got to see these covers. I'm gonna, I, I put you, uh, your website on. On uh, the bottom of the information on blog talk here, you've got your chat area. I know because a lot of you guys are sitting there, and I know you're listening <laughs> because uh, I can see you. So the
2: the Empire <laughs> Assault cover. Um, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name offhand, but he's a very famous British uh, fantasy op- er, art artist, and that is actually about a five foot tall oil painting. That that he made, and 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 then you know they, they took a high res picture of that, and and it it ended up being the cover. But he did that he did that on commission from Abaddon Books. Um, I, I feel really really lucky to have that cover. They they actually use that cover on their on their banners when they go to uh, um, international events because it's just so striking.
1: Yeah, it definitely definitely is. But again, you got some action in it. Mm-hmm. So uh definitely intriguing enough people want to you know, get into it. Says uh probably one I don't quite understand is your recall to life. Is that one uh a sign of a science fiction?
2: It, you know, recalled to life and the golden thread are the first two books of this trilogy. Um and and it is. It's 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 science fiction, parallel universe. Um absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And it does look like it So, you guys Says you know, gave you the website. Go under. Um, yeah, go back here. Obviously and again, the book.
2: artist, the artist for those two, and, and he does it in just beautiful of uh, um, watercolor. Is uh, Vincent Locke, who who not only did uh, works on Sandman, worked on Sandman the comic book, but he also does all the all this the covers for the band Cannibal Corpse. Um, which I'm sure all of you listen
1: to. (laughs) Of course.
0: Of course.
1: Of course. Now, uh, your newest book is the SEAL Team 666, is that right?
2: That's right. That's coming out uh, in November. In fact, I'm going uh, to New York next week to to finalize things with uh, my editors and to attend a cocktail party up on on some Manhattan rooftop and, and, you
1: know, do all that
2: stuff. Yeah.
1: Cool. That's what that's what becoming an author's all about. <laughs> in
2: fact, I have to drive up to Phoenix so I can take that jet blue flight um, that leaves like around midnight, so I can get in at seven or eight a.m.
1: <laughs> and I was looking at the cover because uh, this, of course, is is a is a big publisher cover. Yep. You got you got you know, including your your bat seal here. You know
2: it's, I. I I designed that. I don't. I don't know if you're familiar with the with, with the Bud's insignia for a seal, a U.S. Navy seal. But but the Bud's insignia is is, is what makes them, you know, it's, when they wear it around, it's it's it, it definitely designates them as as uh, military badasses because everybody sees it and they, and they know it's a seal. And and the Bud's emblem has an eagle holding a trident in one hand and a old flip-flop pistol in another. Um, mm-hmm with a with a, a sort of Maltese cross behind it, right? So what I did is I is working with the publisher and the and the art director, um, said, Well, if we're gonna have a SEAL team they have to have their own special symbol. It can't be the same one. So we did the Pats, and then we did the, the Maltese cross and and uh, and the Trident and then of course the six six six.
1: That is cool. That is cool. I love that. Yeah, and of course, you've got an apocalyptic look to it.
2: It does. You With, know, it's 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 very catchy, and I think I think it's a, it's a it's the sort of book that people are going to pick up on the on the from the bookshelf, or at least from the um, new book table at Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstore they happen to be at.
1: It looks like you've got a quote already on your website from Kevin J. Anderson, which I know most of my peeps know who that is. Oh yeah says, SEAL Team 666 is like X-Files and Torchwood. Written by Tom Clancy. Ingenious, <laughs> creepy, and entertaining. That hey, is, I
2: can't be better than
1: that. No. I didn't even have to pay Kevin for that. <laughs> but when you see him again, I'm sure you're going to buy him a drink. <laughs>
2: oh, definitely. Absolutely. I totally owe him a drink for that. For
1: sure. <laughs> so tell us about any, anything that's coming up that you can tell us about.
2: Well, besides SEAL Team Six Six Six, which is going to be huge, um, I also have a, a short story and um, uh, a collection coming out from Black Dog and Leventhal called Psychos, um, edited by John Skipp. Um, uh, this is this is a mass market anthology. It's it's, it's going to be everywhere. Uh, this is following close on the heels of um, of anthologies that they had, Zombies, Werewolves. You know, they're doing doing somatics type of stuff. Also, uh, House of Fear is a mass market anthology to out as well um, uh, from uh, Orbit and, I, I, I'm sorry, Solaris books. And uh, um, Joe Lansdale and I are the only two American authors to be in that one. But, but um, if you live in Arizona, you have to pick up House of Fear because my short story um, uh, is set in the Arizona desert. And essentially, in, instead of having a haunted house, because... When he asked me to contribute to this, I, I thought, well, geez, it's all, it's all been done before. What hasn't been done? And then I figured, ah, haunted abandoned RV in the desert, which, which as we all know, they're everywhere in Arizona. Abandoned RVs? Come on. So I happen to have a haunted one, and it's a pretty good story. I I definitely like it. Um, I'm also working on a uh, four-book comic book uh, uh, set with uh, William F. Nolan, who, who you will know from... Um, Mm. You know, science fiction background. Okay. Um I'm taking his uh I'm working with him to take his Sam Space character, uh which is one of my favorites, and uh turn that into a, a full fledged comic book. Um, I, I, I should be able to send him back the scripts here in in another couple weeks. Um we have a we have a publisher for that, a couple book publisher but uh contracts aren't signed so I don't really want to talk about exactly who it is, but uh, let me just say that it'll be in every comic book store um, Every show the same uh-huh. comic books, period. So um and then I'm also working on my own comic book, uh, with uh Nick Diaz, the artist uh who lives in Tucson. And um that's called Blight and uh we have interest from several different people. Um and you know, we're trying to get this one sold. But you know, it's 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 all a business and you gotta keep on working and you gotta keep on writing and and uh if you don't have something to show people then um you kinda miss an opportunity. Um I don't know how much time left, but let me just, right. let, let me just mention to you. Uh, okay. there was one time I had, I had an opportunity that I missed that I will never let happen again. I was at my first convention, um, uh, first big convention, uh, in Denver and it was a world horror convention. And at the time, uh, leisure books were just coming on board and they were, they were making a pretty big splash to market publishing four mass market paperbacks a month. And, um, uh, the editor had heard about me based upon my short stories because, my, you know, my short stories garnered a lot of attention uh, in, in in the months preceding the convention. And he told people, he said, well, if you see Weston, you tell him to come find me. And so I was at some party somewhere, uh, you know, trying to act smart and intelligent. And um, uh, a friend of mine came up and said, actually Brian Keane came up and said, Wes, Don's looking for you. Go talk to him. Don's who? He says, Editor of Leisure Books. What? So here I am, you know, security cat, you know, trying to go find this guy. And I said, oh, "Hello, Mr. Doria. Um, I'm Weston. How are you doing?" He said, "Fine. I've heard a lot of good things about you. So, t- tell me about your novel." Well, uh, I don't have a novel. You don't have a novel. What do you mean you don't have a novel? Ah, well, well, what, when you get one, Weston, come back and talk to me. And at that point, I realized, holy cow, I <laughs> missed an opportunity. I, <laughs> Never think I have you a novel. don't have. A... <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Right. So. You know, since then I've I've worked harder um, and I've worked better and I've worked faster. Um, I I have I have novels sitting sitting on my on my desk that um, my agent has that uh, nobody else has seen before that I'm you know will will hopefully get published one of these days. I got lots of projects going on because I don't want to be put in a position where someone says, well, "Show me what you got," and I look around and I got nothing
1: yeah i would have i would have said which one <laughs>
2: uh, well, i was i was trying to be Patty. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that's the wrong business for that
2: <laughs> oh is it is it the wrong business for that
1: yeah yeah you, you you know, we also, we, play the business yeah play it
2: <laughs> well uh, all, all I know is it's also a very small business and and you can make a good name for yourself or a bad yeah. name for yourself and uh, I definitely so want to be true. one of those guys where where when people say my name in a conversation, like, oh, yeah, Weston. I don't want them to be, oh, Weston. Definitely don't want to be that guy. No one wants right. to be that guy.
1: Right, like, uh, yeah, I talked to him, and he had this story, but he never gave it to me, that kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. You know, I've I, i I've always been sort of res- responsible and dependable. I think the military kind of bred that into me, and, and so that's – that's something I know that a lot of publishers appreciate.
1: Um, you're probably right. Might as well be might be honest about it. Uh, yeah, you've definitely made a you obviously made a name for yourself, and you've, you're getting there. Yeah, I mean, you're almost at you're you're right at the edge there, just looking down and think, thinking, "Yeah, that's just where I'm going." Yeah,
2: the way. <laughs> I, I, I can keep walking along
1: that edge instead of falling
2: off. Right.
1: You're right i think you're you are you you definitely i mean you you've got you're getting with the big publishers you're uh you're doing all the right stuff and uh you know you've got some great you know you're teaching other people now you know what you' what to do and what you know what not to do and uh that's really what it's all about is is helping you know it's like whatever you're gonna do you're gonna help you know people behind you and uh that's the right place to be so I I, I always you know, I've always said whenever I see you um and talk to you, I always I get a good feeling about you. Well
2: thank you, I appreciate that. Even though I blackmailed you all about about Leprechaun, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> did you tell people I blackmailed you to be to be to be against No,
1: there? I did that. I never said that. Never yeah, did.
2: You can tell people I did. I totally did.
1: I no, no. You're I, I said I was going to help you remember, and I got you made sure that you got to have dinner with with your favorite author. <laughs> well, here's here's
2: what here's, here's what happened. Listening, people of the world, um, Patty asked me asked me if I was coming to Con, and I was really busy. I really hadn't planned on doing it, but then I noticed Joe Haldeman was a guest of honor there. Well,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, Joe Haldeman, for God's sakes. Um, so I told her. And, and, and I noticed that he was going to be interviewed, and I didn't see anybody's name up to the interview, so I said, listen, I will come on the condition that you let me interview Joe Haldeman. And I think I think she had to think about it for a while, because I hadn't interviewed anybody before, um, and luckily, know, uh, I think she made the right decision, because she finally she said, okay, yeah, come on, and she totally took care of me, too, because she also arranged it so that, um, so that uh, Joe and, and Gay and I could, like, you know, have, like, a private dinner with ourselves, and and go out to a place. Which by the way, I don't know if you watch Food Network, but they have a new show called Mystery Diner. Mystery Diner did a show oh, yeah. on the restaurant that Joe Haldeman and Gay and I went went to. I in fact I have to email Joe and let him know that. Um the same restaurant, in fact I think the same server um <laughs> they 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 did a they did a mystery diner thing on. But anyway, that's that's how I kinda of blackmailed you and and you took it in good spirit, and I really appreciate the fact that you know you kind of let well, me get away with something.
1: You made it your own, and and you know you had a great idea about you know putting the chairs out and making it comfortable. Uh, we wanted using that for you know uh, some other uh, interviews later in the day, so it we're all worked out. You know, you said you have to you have to leave things open, you know, to ideas, and and it wasn't that I hesitated, but I wasn't sure how Joe was going to take a horror writer <laughs> interviewing him. But you know, uh, Jay said, "Oh yeah, you know, he's open to a lot of different things." And he, and so you know, she's just wonderful. She is really wonderful. She's oh, she's
0: fantastic. She's, I
2: was I'm <laughs> so pleased that I got to meet
1: them. She just uh-huh. she takes she takes care of her man, and that's just awesome. You know. Yep. So it's uh, so he he played with it, and I said, "That's great." So I I was awesome. I think it's great that you took the initiative to, to actually offer that. So even though you said you. <laughs> If you want to say tell people that, that you threatened me, that's fine. But you know, it comes down to it it worked and it it worked well and, and I'm open to those ideas and you, you made it work. Thank
0: you. I appreciate, appreciate I
1: appreciate that. So we both appreciate each other, so that's great. <laughs> Which okay, since since we're we're blackmailing here, uh you do know that I'm in charge of Lipacon thirty nine? I do. So Don and I are co chairing. Which pretty much means that whoever I say it is, can come is going to be coming. <laughs> so the, the,
2: the problem is, is because I, I think I'm going to be in Afghanistan until May, end of May next year.
1: Oh, the end of May. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's not going to you're not going to have time then. That's for sure.
2: No. Nope. So so I'm I'm totally out of pocket unless something happens. I mean, you know, I've already this deployment has already been pushed once or twice, and it could be pushed again. I mean, it could even be canceled. I mean yeah you know, the way the way the government works is is, is as as mysterious as the oracle is at delphi so um i could I could show up to work next week and I could be leaving a month sooner or I could just not be going at all so who knows
1: well we'll see what works out if if you're happen to be in 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 town and and feeling up to it we will definitely love of course lot we'll to have you
2: that's oh yeah okay. luck a good convention definitely.
1: We like to, to, you know. I think that we're getting back to where it's comfortable. People want to be around each other, and uh, you know, the more people there, the better.
2: <laughs>
1: Obviously, the more money we make. <laughs> so, uh, there's a question. I, two questions I have. I, I know that you have that you have some uh, pets that that you have around you, and. Uh, People who know enough about you and your wife uh, probably know about the pets. How are they doing? Okay.
2: Yeah, they're doing great. Uh, you're talking about our three great Danes, right? Yeah we, have, yeah, we have three great Danes. All three of them are rescued. Um, uh, they're doing terrific. Um, they uh, they kind of take over the house here every now and then, but you know they're doing fine.
1: I had heard that they were that they were sick and you had to get home and.
2: Well, yeah, one of them one of them did get sick. Um, Goblet. He's he's kind of old, and uh, and you know he he got sick enough to where you know we got worried. So um, you know th- there's part of the family's eyes as anything else. So um, I definitely rest home to make sure that everything was okay with him, and of course everything did did turn out to be just fine.
1: That's terrific. That's terrific. I didn't find out what happened, so thought I'd ask you.
2: And oh yeah, no problem.
1: Do you think that is? Uh, this is a, a question that I'm I'm always curious about because. Um, I found that when I had a partner who was uh, writing alongside me, you know, as far as, you know, we're both writing, then uh, I get along better with, with people who write. So do you think that's a beneficial to, benefit to you and has made you a better writer, having another author and writer next to you, being a partner? Well,
2: absolutely. I, I can't imagine um, having the success I'm having or, or um, living a life without uh, a fellow creative person you know it doesn't have to be an author it could be an artist it could be anything a lot happens to be both um uh, i i mean how cool is it that you know we can we can go downstairs and we can watch um aliens and then and and we can both talk about it and then then we go upstairs to our own space and and we can and, and we can write something and then we can come downstairs and we can watch you know an episode of friends or something like that and have a great time talking about that i mean we like the things each other like, so we're each other's best friend.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I find. is I go to a movie, we start talking about movies, and then before we know it, we're writing a screenplay for, you know, a, a different twist to, you know, another version of that story. And so <laughs> it's it, it's a roller coaster, you know, but it's it's a fun thing to, to get into because we get excited about new stories. So that's, that's what happens with us. So we... Uh, uh, that's why I like to have other uh writers uh around me because of course it 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 gels and it's got uh synergy and you learn more from other authors,
2: yeah, I think so that's that's what I get from from conventions is, is you know just being in in rooms full of, of other writers and you know it gives me a certain energy so that by the time i leave i'm I'm just raring to go back and you know do some more writing,
1: yeah, that's definitely true. I come up with ideas, and if we know it's like okay we we gotta We've got to leave the convention and actually write these. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: no, you don't have to leave the convention, right? You write later. Well, the convention too, absolutely.
1: I've seen you do that. I've seen you do that. You're writing notes, but I, it, it's, uh, you have to do that. You get your idea and you put it in, you know, down on paper, and that way you get back to it uh, when you can really hammer it out.
2: You know, if I don't, I'll totally forget it.
1: Right. Yeah, it happens when you know. I wake up. I started writing a, a zombie story, which I not was never into zombies before. Um, Why not? zombies like, is science
0: fiction.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, that is. what they say, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It is. I mean, I, I, mean, I just it's, wasn't it's into it. In science, yeah. science
2: fiction. Frankenstein is well, science.
1: Fiction. It, it is because it's apocalyptic.
2: No, it's and, Frankenstein is science fiction because it's, it's man who who use science to create something other than man. And you know, most zombies are are man are man created, so it's nothing more than than a, a flesh of blood Frankenstein.
0: Right. All science fiction. Uh, I just shocked
2: you didn't I you just realized now the zombies are science fiction. Oh my god.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Except that except that I was writing them in Western times, so we're talking about the turn of the century. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, and I, I never really got into them, and I started dreaming about them, and I said, okay, fine, fine, I'll get it out of my head, you know. <laughs> so I started writing it. Says so it's, it's a western, and it's, it's got zombies in it, and it's got a werewolf, because I love werewolves. So you know, got-
2: Joe so, wrote about western zombies. So I mean, I mean, you know, there's there, there's no reason why we can't have zombies anywhere.
1: Right, in any time, really. In fact, was,
2: Jonas, East, my, my buddy I'm doing a book signing with in two weeks, his his new series, um, from Del Rey I believe, uh, is about zombies in World War One. Uh the idea was that instead of the uh instead of the Germans using mustard gas, they used what was called corpse gas. Which which brought the dead on the battlefield back to life.
1: I had heard about that. I had heard about that. So that's I didn't realize where it was from. I heard yes. a, a, some... something Somebody was telling me the premise of that story, and I've gone like, "Okay, yeah." So that's a, that's thing is it's cool to find out. Okay, now how did these zombies get in this time, and what happened in order to make this happen? So well, you know, it's World War I, it's a World
2: War One science fiction story.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just you know, you know, altered history. <laughs>
2: it is. It is. You know, Joe and I are going to be doing that book signing in um, at the metro at the metro. Uh, mall and I, I want to make sure I, I get the plug in for that well you better um,
1: get the plug in for that because it's right local here so
2: <laughs> yeah it's well it's it's myself it's, it's, jo, it's jonas East who's, who lives there in um phoenix and, and is another Bram Stoker winning author, and then it's Joe McKinney out of San Antonio who's also a Bram Stoker winning author, and all of us have published um apocalyptic and uh zombie fiction, and what they put together is a metro apocalypse uh uh, event, where it's us three authors, a few other presenters, um, the the DODZ zombie team is going to be there. There's going to be zombies. Um, who are going to be lurching through the aisles of, of the of the Metro Barnes & Nobles. Um, there's uh, going to be a cordon outside to keep any more zombies from getting in or out. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a huge major event. Uh, Sarah, who's the one of the managers of the Barnes & Nobles, she originally started out in Yuma and um uh ever since I did a book signing in um Tucson where the Tucson zombie walk walked through the store as I was as I was doing my, my zombie book signing, um she's loved the idea of doing this sort of stuff. So so I she's invited me out to Yuma and she's invited me out to uh the Metro um uh, the M- Metro Mall and um she's invited me back this year again. So I'll be in New York City Thursday, and Friday, and I take a uh, the Red Eye back Saturday morning, get in about 8 o'clock, and then um, drive to make the book signing at it's Barnes Noble's there at Metro um, at noon. Um, probably bring Joe McKinney with me because I think I'm picking him up at the airport. But uh, if you haven't read Joe McKinney or if, or if you haven't read Joe and Assis, this is a really good time to um, um, meet and read uh, two local, if not regional authors, authors. Um, who are I
0: would,
1: you not, know
2: not i not great office but interesting people. I
1: you know I already you know I said I I said I would love to come. I would absolutely love to come. Unfortunately I got two office on the other side of town. That's um, okay.
2: You know you know, we're gonna have you know we we will miss you, Patty, but we're gonna have
0: you know, probably, I really like, want to
1: be there. I think we still fun, and of course, uh, meeting two more authors. I always love that. So, yeah, I really, really wish you guys didn't have the same exact time. But uh, I've got the eleven to two, and then a three to five. So it's it's going to be all day around Apache Junction. So. <laughs>
2: sure. I think there's also going to be like a there's there's going to be a zombie um, um, beauty contest, a zombie costume yeah. contest, uh, and we, they're we also did. going to have. Uh, Zombie you know, apocalypse-related food and beverages.
1: In Mesa, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we we did the cause I did the, uh Mesa Second Friday, and we had a zombie bikini contest.
2: Zombie bikini
0: contest, <laughs> so Can nice.
1: Believe it. <laughs> so
0: nice.
1: I got pictures of that. So <laughs> it's going to be in the paper. <laughs> yeah, so I you totally know.
2: want to see that. <laughs>
1: So it's a lot of fun. You know, it comes with ideas, and uh, you know, to zombies, and of course, you got steampunk. Uh, you know, steampunk—they uh, have a lot of things going on. And Mesa for steampunk, because a lot of people out there having fun. Uh, saw a, a, a clock on the back of somebody's back. They—they they made a time travel, a machine that they—they they could you know carry on. You know,
2: right, right. <laughs>
1: It's great. It's great, all fun, you know?
2: Well, the whole zombie thing is pretty crazy. I got a call today from uh, the entertainment reporter from Arizona Republic and um, about this event, and she wanted a couple comments, and, and I said, I said, welcome to the world of zombies. She said, I know. Everybody's crazy about zombies. I said, yeah, I don't know why. They just are. You know, it's, I think it's because it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah, it's the idea. Um, and then some of us like, well, you know, we want to know what the future is like. But that's you know, that's a whole different subject. But you know that's. Um... Well, I mean, we
2: got we got philosophical, and I told her that you know the zombie is nothing. The, the popular the popularity of zombie fiction is nothing more than our own commentary on current events and our own ability to control things. And uh, exactly. zombie is the ultimate in in something you cannot control. It's implacable. You can't yeah. you can't negotiate with it like you can a um, a werewolf or a vampire is just going to come on and come on and come on no matter what you say. So, it's really commentary on our inability to control our, our current be, situation.
1: I, I, I kind of depict them as being like lawyers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, those are sharks. Those are sharks. Yeah,
1: sharks. But, yeah. Course, but uh, there is a
2: movie about a zombie shark, so maybe that's really about a lawyer.
1: Zombie sharks? You know what? That has not been on Sci Fi Channel yet.
2: <laughs> are you sure? I mean, come on. Really? Everything's been on Sci Fi Channel. I don't a
1: know. Channel. I haven't. Yeah, I know. Really? uh piranhas uh you know it it's almost everything uh, they have something else a shark something that I haven't seen any zombie sharks. I bet you will see one in the next few weeks, <laughs> is somebody making money on it? I don't know <laughs> that's the idea that's the idea it's and that's the what ifs
2: that's right,
1: that's right. Well, with that, I'm going to give you the last question I always ask. Is I got by the way, somebody loved the idea of steampunk zombies. Uh, Desert <laughs> Zen, Desert Zen wrote uh, steampunk zombies. Explanation point. So,
2: <laughs> well, Sh- 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 Sherry Priest already did that in um, in uh, Dreadnought, and she did a great job doing it.
1: There you go. So that's to say that you, it's a matter of, of getting the different genres. It doesn't matter uh, different ideas. Together in one story. I don't think there's a straight story out there right now um, that I know of. You, you, you have to, you're mixing a lot of different genres.
2: And by the way, Desert Zen is Wendy. So 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 shout out to Wendy.
1: Hi, hey Wendy. <laughs> so you know who that is? That's awesome.
2: Yeah, you know I, I have some great fans out there. She's she's one of them. Totally.
1: That's great. Yes, we I, I know we had a a, a publisher that was on here for a while. And he so he was listening in. Um, the question I always ask at the end of, of most of my shows is, now that you've successfully slain the dragon, what will you do?
2: Well, the problem with the dragon is it has, it has so many heads I have to keep slaying it just over and over and over.
1: You know? <laughs> this is not a hydra.
2: <laughs> no it is. It is. It's it's behind oh, it it oh. no, me. There's no walking off into the sunset with my bloody sword dragging along the ground behind me. No way. This is this is a never ending battle. I have to keep working, I have to keep fighting, I have to keep writing. If I don't do that, you know, I will just get passed by because nowadays, you know, everything is right, 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 publish, publish, publish and and the challenge um that I have is just to make sure that everything I get out there is quality because because my fans expect quality, they expect certain things from Western Oaks writing, and I have to make sure that they receive it. And as long as I can keep doing that, I'm, I'm slaying those dragon heads. But but if I if I start not doing that, that means the dragons getting getting the, taking advantage sure. of me, and I'm and I'm falling behind a little bit.
1: There you go. You guys got your answer. So everybody has a different one. That's why it makes this particular question interesting. Is what they answer. So with uh, with Weston, he's got the hydra, and he's going to continue to slay the dragon because it's never-ending. So with that, thank you so much for for being on there with us. We, as, as always, I enjoy talking to you, and uh, we'll talk again sometime when you you get some a couple other things under your belt and have uh, time. All right, and, Patty, thank uh, you very
2: much. Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you very much. So that was Weston, and we have like 90 seconds left here, so I'm just going to let everybody know that I don't believe I have anything. Yeah, I don't have any other uh, uh, blog talk shows for next week that I know of yet. Um, I say that because I am doing a lot of different things, getting ready for uh, some book signings for some authors, So and, of course, a lot of virtual book tours, so definitely take a look at that. Uh, Also getting out the next Connotations newspaper. So, if anybody has anything, definitely drop me a line and see if you you can write an article or just want to know more about the paper. Um uh, we are on Facebook, so connotation using check us out, and with that, you guys have a great afternoon, a great evening.